Welcome to the Gisco Bike Podcast. This is the show where we talk about bicycles just for the fun of it. You'll hear tales from Ragbright Nation and from just about anywhere else on or off the trail. Come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. I'm Kyle Munson, just one among our rotation of co-hosts. You know, collectively, we're a crazy bunch determined to keep pedaling no matter what, including through this pandemic. Uh, you know, one of my most recent bike rides was to circle the complete 70-mile loop of the Raccoon River Valley Trail here in Iowa, just west of the Des Moines Metro. Shout out to Clay underscore Masters on Twitter for sharing that journey with me. I also biked past an eerily quiet stadium in Ames just ahead of the opening football game there by the Iowa State Cyclones. We've all been biking through a strangely still and sparse landscape in 2020, I would say. You know, I love a peaceful solo ride. I, I ride a lot of those week after week, but I'm definitely ready to get back to being able to share the road with large groups of people on Ragbri and, and other organized rides. So, you know, speaking of rides, organized or otherwise, speaking of bicycling, my guest today puts me to shame in terms of miles pedaled and time on a bike seat. Alan Snell of Las Vegas, and, you know, he's closing in on 40 years of bicycling adventures, including a couple of solo treks across the continental United States. He's been biking with Buffalo in South Dakota and through an earthquake in California and who knows what else we're, we're about to hear. Uh, he calls himself a journalist on wheels uh, or maybe a modern day John Steinbeck. Um, see, maybe I could call him uh, a carbon-neutral John Steinbeck on a carbon frame pedaling through a much more congested and complicated America. Try to say that three times fast. Anyway, so Alan has collected 42 of his stories into 272 pages of a new book called Bicycle Man, Life of Journeys. Bicycle Man, Life of Journeys. I'm delighted to talk to a fellow bicyclist and a fellow journalist. Alan, welcome to Just Go Bike. Thank you so much, Kyle. Um, I got to hire you for my marketing staff to sell the book. That was great. <laughs> well, well let me keep laying it on then. You know, I got, yeah, I love Bicycle Man as a title, as a, you know, as your alter ego, I guess. I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe should just go ahead and, and start a Bicycle Man franchise. <laughs> yeah, um, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind just uh, layering up in titanium with uh, some of these crazy motorists around here. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm still, uh, I'm still. Uh, pedaling away and um it's great to talk with you kyle it is uh, on my end it's also a pleasure to talk with a fellow bicycle lover slash longtime journalist too so it's uh, my pleasure to talk with you. well that's great I, what got you started bicycling in the first place i mean where were you and why did you climb on a bike before we start talking about all these thousands of miles since <clears throat> the seed of my bicycling love really was planted during my high school years during the summers. I worked in a clothing production warehouse in the swamps of New Jersey outside New York City. And I worked for a, a company called Liz Claiborne. Um, and uh, I used to work long days. And the one time of the day that I can call my own was when I hopped on my bike after I got home from 10 hours of work. And I would just bike from 6 to 7.30 uh, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I used to bike from 7 to 8.30 or when it would get dark uh, outside New York City in a suburb called Rockland County. And that's when I realized just the freedom that bicycling gives you, the autonomy that bicycling gives you, and the amazing pace of speed that it allows you to get places while going slow enough to see places. So 
that's re really where um, the seed, I guess, was planted. And in terms of growing that seed, it would have to be uh, going to college in central New York State. I went to a small liberal arts college called Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York. It's north of Cornell and Ithaca. It's in between Rochester and Syracuse in the, what they call the Finger Lakes region of New York State. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really fell in love with the long-distance touring style. I've never been a racer. Um, bicycling comes in all these different colors and interests, but I've never really been a racy kind of person. I've always combined the journalistic instincts. It's something that you could appreciate, Kyle. I, even though I'm on the bike, I still am hardwired as a journalist, so if something catches my eye, in fact, I, some of the stories in the book are actually based on using the bicycle as part of a journalism tool, if you will, mm. in terms of getting around and seeing stuff. And when I was a city hall reporter in Denver, I actually used the bike to kind of bike around the city of Denver and actually went on a few assignments with my bicycle as well. So that was kind of having the, uh, the clash of the two worlds uh, kind of integrate there of bicycling and journalism. But um, – I've always uh, enjoyed using bicycle, my bicycle as a tool to just document the world around me. So many great descriptions packed in there. I mean, I totally agree with your observation about life on a bicycle. You, you know, it's fast enough to get where you need to go, but slow enough to see the scenery along the way. And that speaks to me. And then, of course, yeah, as a roving journalist on a bike, uh, I did that for many years on Ragbri and in other ways. And, uh, yeah, I love interviewing on a bicycle. Um, the smartphone made it much easier. You can just kind of strap it on and let it record so you don't have to stop and take notes quite so often. But <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, I yeah. uh, I once interviewed the mayor of Fort Worth, Texas on a bicycle. So, yeah, you you were covering Denver, roving around Denver as a as a bicycling reporter. Did you, I mean, did you become known as that? Were you uh, filing from the city hall or from the side of the trail? or were you Yeah, always... a lot of, um, I mean, most most of the... Denver Post newsroom knew about my bicycling ways. Uh, in fact, uh, I used to bicycle to the Denver Post building and lock the bike up in the uh, in the in the car lot, actually uh, beneath the building. And uh, <laughs> I would uh, I would ride up with my with my bags and stuff uh, on the elevator with the other reporters and administrators and, and what have you. So um, they they got to know me pretty well. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, <clears throat> Denver is, is one of really the great bicycle cities in the country. So I was really spoiled uh, living in Denver. They have a beautiful trail system that really functions as as an interstate system for bicycles. I mean, mm -hmm. they they have a regional paved trail system. I was really spoiled uh, by living in Denver and biking all around there for sure. Do you, you seem to love, obviously, the long-distance rides, and you're out in the middle of the desert and can have a lot of uh, nice flat riding when you want it, but are, do you love to climb hills, mountains? Is that your thing, too? Well, you know, it's interesting. Maybe you kind of feel the same way, but <clears throat> there's almost kind of an end of bicycle hill climbing, if you will, where you once you kind of lock into that mindset, um, you just kind of let your body do the work, and um, you know the key is to have the... <laughs> have the right mental um, approach to things. Um, where I live, believe it or not, um, 
is in a very hilly section of the Las Vegas Valley. I live uh, on the edge of the Las Vegas Valley in a suburban community called Summerlin, which is on the doorstep of what has become a very popular uh, federal land area called the Red Rock National Conservation Area. Mm. And there are, you know, I think you mentioned to me that you have visited Las Vegas before. Red Rock is... I've lived all around the country. I've bicycled all, all around the country. It's hard to find such um, undeveloped, open federal land adjacent to, to a metropolitan area of 2.2 million people and growing. So it's a, an amazing natural resource. So, you know, my bread and butter bike ride is a, a ride to the Red Rock Scenic Drive, which is about six miles from where I live. And I turn right, and uh, on the scenic drive, technically, it's a toll fee. It's a toll road. It's a it's a federal fee road. So it goes for about thirteen miles up into what is basically the foothills of the Spring Mountains. Hmm. Uh, and then it brings you back to the main road that brings you back into Summerlin. That is my base uh, daily bike ride uh, that I do. It's about twenty eight miles, two and a half hours, and. It, it's uh, it's an amazing 28 mile ride because it's you have the, the the terrain is constantly changing so you feel like the psychology and the mentality of a much longer bike ride. There's more diverse stuff going on that than meets the eye. So that's uh, But I'll, I'll mix in other stuff too. I'll bike down into downtown Las Vegas and bike the strip. And during the pandemic, I actually was biking the strip all the time and I wrote several stories about how the strip became kind of a magnet for just everyday bicyclists and hmm. you know it's something the bicycle industry to realize is that sometimes it gets very insular and if I was doing marketing for the bicycle industry I would look uh, outside instead of being looking inward because um, there were everyday bicyclists who were on the strip during the pandemic when all the hotels were closed especially in that month of uh, April and month of May when, you know, you have everything from the Bellagio and New York, New York and Wynn and Venetia, everything is closed. The strip was a bicyclist uh, heaven. I mean, it was unbelievable. And uh, I actually did several stories urging the county, Clark County uh, actually is the home base for the strip, not the city of Las Vegas. And I actually wrote to the Clark County uh, commissioners saying, Hey, Every three months, every four months, you know, close the strip down on a Saturday or Sunday morning and have a cyclovia or, you know, some kind of event where people who aren't familiar with biking can, you know, get, get down to the, this world-famous strip. So um, the book itself, believe it or not, was written and published and now being sold uh, during the pandemic. It was really, <laughs> the, during the, it was really the pandemic that uh, sparked my motivation to write this book and i was trying to figure out how to organize all these bicycle stories and all these things i've done over like you mentioned nearly 40 years and i cracked the code i actually figured out how to organize it you know as a as a journalist and as a writer that organizing your work whether it's a it's a short essay or a four or 300 page book you have to kind of organize it and every story and every word has to has to hang on that main line so uh i figured out how to organize the book and then i just went back and uh organized it into eight different chapters and shuffled all the various stories under these different chapters and there's a 
kind of a logical introduction and a logical epilogue to the book. And uh, I'm really proud of it. Um, I It's a self-published book, and I do all the marketing myself. I have spurned Am- Amazon, believe it or not. They, <laughs> They'll be okay. <laughs> realizes how much Amazon takes a bite out of the sale. Right. Uh, I decided to uh, sell the book directly to people, and I actually enjoy the one-on-one um, sale uh, experience. And I've put together kind of these montages of photos of people holding the book from all around the country, which has been kind of a fun little uh, marketing thing. But also it's been very satisfying to see all the different people who have been enjoying the book. You know, what's interesting about the book is that the stories, there's a lot of first-person stories, but there's also a lot of just storytelling of other people's bicycle adventures as well. So uh, I like to kind of look at the book as, and if you're from Las Vegas, you'd appreciate this. It's To me, it's a buffet of bicycle stories. So you can kind of go to, you can, if you want, you can go, you can read the book from like page one to 275, but you know, you can also kind of hop and skip around the book to uh, pick out the kind of stories or sections that you enjoy as well. So um, it's been, <laughs> it's been quite an experience of publish self-publishing it uh, and selling it during the pandemic. And really the pandemic is part of the book itself. So I feel like there's a organic connection between the book and what we're going through right now, Kyle. Well, you know, you've certainly taken advantage of the pandemic and found the silver lining with you know, writing this book, uh, so productive at a time when, I mean, a lot of us weren't sure what to do. And then it it is true, the bicycle boom, not just on the Vegas Strip, but everywhere, the bike shops being right. sold out, hard to get parts, tubes, uh, the used market is exploding. So I do kind of hope that this year, another silver lining is that we have more bicyclists and they stick with it and, and they keep riding and, and they stay out there, especially when we're able to, to mix and we have a vaccine and everything. You know, Kyle, one of the first business stories I wrote for my new site, lvsportsbiz.com, but right, I, that was something I've worked. Actually, I, I'm kind of. Uh, I'm going to uh, give your re, uh, your listeners a little secret here. I actually dropped out of journalism for about seven years in Florida and worked as a full time community bicycle activist in the Tampa Bay market. And um, I'm familiar with the industry. And one of the first things I saw during the pandemic was this quick boom of uh, people who wanted to go out uh, and ride a bicycle. And um, I'm familiar with a lot of retail bike shops here in the Las Vegas market, and they all reported from the get-go how people were getting their old um, bikes. They may have bought them even at places like Walmart and what have you, and they were dusting dusting off the cobwebs and bringing them in to be uh, lubed up and cleaned and repaired and fixed and um you could always tell the new bicyclist, Kyle, because their bike helmet are kind of—it's kind of tipped at a forty-five degree angle with the forehead exposed, and the bike helmet is kind of shooting up like at a forty-five degree angle, you know. And you can pretty much tell like the newbies or the people who haven't ridden a bike in a long time. And, we, we've all been there. I, I was yeah. definitely there. <laughs> <laughs> and there were, you know, uh, right from the get-go, literally the first week of the pandemic. I noticed that people were hopping on their bikes to get out of their homes. Uh, and I quickly recognized that we were kind of in for, the, for a very weird time. And I just um, mentally and emotionally said to myself, I need to create a good vibe and just turn this whole Zen feeling around. And 
decided to pour myself into writing the book back in uh, March. So um, if I recall, I wrote the introduction to the book of, like around March 24th, uh, which was the night that I figured out how to organize 40 years worth of uh, bicycle adventure stories <laughs> and bicycle tales and what have you. So um, it was really early on the pandemic, I kind of had the foresight that I realized we're in for a crazy ride and I need to get something positive out of this whole experience. So I, uh, I just basically um, went behind my laptop and just uh, started researching my old stories and started writing a lot of new copy and started basically uh, re-editing some old stuff and crafted everything together and I pulled together, you know, the book and it was published in pretty much June, June and July. And uh, I used a publishing house in the Tampa Bay market and I've been selling the books for the last uh, month or two. So and at the end of the show, I'll definitely will tell listeners how they can get their own copy, too. So that mm -hmm. that info is coming. So just keep listening. You know, you mentioned Tampa. So in your time in the bike industry, I, I read that you had what you were lobbying D.C. for bicycle on bicycle safety issues. And you also had your own bicycle bash. So you were what producing events and you were also an industry advocate, basically. Yeah. You know, in the Tampa Bay market, um, and you can pretty much extend this to the entire state of Florida or even the southeast United States. They're kind of a little behind the rest of the uh, country in terms of bicycle awareness and bicycle safety issues and bicycle infrastructure and what have you. So uh, I, I have to admit I had no engineering experience and I had – I'm a journalist. <laughs> we are trained. We are hardwired to be impartial and not get involved. But – Bicycling also was so much in my blood that it was – and I was so angry over almost being hit almost on a weekly basis where I would have to take uh, um, kind of, you know, <clears throat> aversive action almost on a weekly or monthly basis to just you know, keep, keep away from being hit by motorists. Yeah. I used that anger as fuel to organize basically a coalition of retail bike shops. We created a – a group of bike shops and they paid me a nominal fee every month. And for the most part, Kyle, I was kind of a one man bicycle coalition where, wow. uh, you know, the interesting thing about being a journalist is that, you know, we, I covered a million meetings in my career and I, and you kind of, you kind of know what, what it's like to speak in front of county commissions and city councils and transportation agency panels and what have you. So I knew how much to push the limit before you get kind of labeled as kind of a crackpot, you know, hothead kind of figure, you know, in the, in the community. So um, I was uh, pretty stern and straightforward with my comments about how um, the city of Tampa, the Hillsborough County Commission, the whole region of Tampa Bay needed to really improve conditions for bicyclists. And one thing I, I found really important, I think you get respect is that you, when you do more than just talk, and um, I, you mentioned organizing, I used to put on a annual bicycle festival every year in the Tampa Bay market called the Bicycle Bash by the Bay, and it was a very uh, organic, uh, you know, event. I mean, it basically, it was basically, I, I put together this uh, bicycle festival designed to increase the profile of bicycling uh, in the Tampa Bay market, and 
we drew a lot of interesting people. And what's really fascinating, Kyle, about bicycling is that, and I kind of talk about this in the book as well, you know, we, we live in such a divided country right now. And the beautiful mm-hmm. thing about bicycling is that, for the most part, I mean, I don't think Donald Trump is a big fan of bicycling, but for the most part, bicycling is a kind of a non-political ideological issue because right it should be yeah yeah i've met a lot of friends who who love bicycling and they have all kind of political backgrounds all kind of um backgrounds all personal beliefs and it really runs the gamut you know so that's the one thing i loved about bicycling in fact in the tampa bay market in in the city of st petersburg they actually had a republican mayor who was a very, very pro-bicycle mayor, even though he's quote-unquote Republican, when, you know, the rep, you know, the stereotype of the reputation is that, you know, you know they're more for development and more pro-business and this and that, and that, you know, they're not into the whole pro-bike kind of movement. But it did, that didn't apply to bicycling because he just saw bicycling as a great, effective tool to, to improve your city and to improve your neighborhoods. Yeah, no, I, that totally resonates with me too. Bicycling is sort of the perfect nonpartisan pursuit, and and I think exactly. the, and I think you're right. Like uh, uh, bicycling and smart bicycling tourism is sort of the Venn diagram where uh, aggressive environmentalism and aggressive economic development meet. I, I know there's a certain group of bicyclists who feel like you know all bicyclists should be on the road and taking the lane, and I respect that. You know, the vehicular bicyclists definitely have great things to say, in ter- I think, in terms of biking in congested urban areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely take the lane. I'm very uh, assertive in my lane position when I'm in a congested urban area. Things are a little more uh, dicey when you get out in suburban kind of places that have crappy infrastructure for bicyclists. And you have motors zooming at 50 miles an hour and constantly changing lanes. And you know, you could you could be you know, those kind of speeds are kind of a little, you know, a little scary when you're taking the lane. That's just in my yeah. opinion. Well, no, I, I mean that that's the story of the Midwest too. I mean, that is here in Iowa and across the Midwest on these two lane um, uh, rural highways. They're beautiful and they're also beautiful for bicyclists. But we're you know increasingly there more trails are being built and wider shoulders are being uh, built on on the two lane highways because yeah, you do get fast traffic and that's where we've seen you know a number of bicyclist deaths and. Uh, you mentioned the coalition. That's interesting. The Iowa Bicycle Coalition, and one of our co-hosts, Mark Wyatt, has been involved with this podcast since its inception. So I'll have to connect you guys uh, one of these days here, too. Um, you'd have yeah, so much to talk about. But, you know, before I forget, I'm also another yet you know, one of the many facets of your career. One of the things that we end up talking about off and on on this show is that great American solo cross-country bicycle track. And you've done that a couple of times. Why did you, in particular, want to ride across the United States? What what got you to do that the first time? Well, uh, I did it when I was in my twenties. Uh, when first of all, <clears throat> there is some uh, some I think validity to the dumb cliche about ignorance is bliss because <laughs> when I was in my young twenties, I really didn't know any better. Uh, in fact, I I did my first cross country bike ride. In fact, I did a cross country bike ride in a direction that most people don't go. I actually went from east to west. Most people go from west to east. Mm-hmm. I was kind of dumb enough to go from east to west uh, into the headwinds of the prevailing winds across the country. But <laughs> uh, <clears throat> quite frankly, I finished college. Um, I was hoping to 
uh, get a job uh, at a newspaper. The job did not come through. And I just simply pivoted and said, you know what? I approached uh, some newspapers and said, hey, can I write bicycle travel stories? And I, I, honestly, Kyle, I was honored when you brought up John Steinbeck's name because he is my favorite author. And um, I really aim to do kind of a John Steinbeck style um, travelogue of bicycling back. This is back in the 1980s. Mm. And um, it was important for me to see the country uh, firsthand. You know, we're journalists and we're eyewitnesses to history on a daily basis. And to me, again, it was the it was kind of the the the, <clears throat> the convergence of these two worlds of bicycling and journalism, where I really needed to see the rest of the country. Even though um, I was uh, I was at the ripe age of twenty two or, or, or however old I was, I really needed to see. Uh, the Midwest, uh, the Rockies, the, the West Coast. I need to see it in person, uh, eyeball to eyeball. And nothing does it like a bicycle. And uh, when you bicycle solo, and keep in mind, this is totally a solo bike ride. In fact, this will kind of freak some people out. I did mm -hmm. not even bring a tent during my first bike ride. I, all I had was a sleeping bag. And I would just roll the, sleep, you know, the bag out or sometimes... I would just talk to people in churches who would let me crash on the floor of their church uh, in small towns across the USA. Mm. And then, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning, you know, I, I'd pile my stuff on the back rack and off I go pedally, you know, heading heading toward the west. So um, I did that in 1983, and, and the second time was 1989. You mentioned the earthquake. I was actually in the San Francisco Bay Area during the uh, Oakland A's versus San Francisco Giants uh, World Series at the time. And I was bicycling from one friend's house to another when all of a sudden uh, I thought I was biking over railroad tracks. That's exactly <laughs> how it felt when I was biking. And my handlebar was began shaking wildly. And I to my right and there was a building of about six stories with a billboard that was just flapping like it, like hurricane winds had hit it and then right after that i heard someone scream earthquake oh. and i was only i was only a mile or two from the nimitz highway which was that double tier highway uh in oakland that had collapsed the upper level had collapsed on the lower level mm. and that was a horrific scene i ended up um helping out there and also writing some stories from the site there. So, um, that was 1989. Wow. And that was quite a, uh, I just, I mean, I literally biked into that, but, um, I have one section in the book is devoted to, uh, individual stories from those two cross country bike rides. The genesis of the book, Kyle, was that for years I've been trying to think of how to put these cross country bike rides into some kind of literary form. And, you know what? Everyone's written these kind of stories, and it's important to me as a journalist and as a writer to try to come up with some kind of original, unique angle. And I just didn't feel comfortable about just writing the bike across the country kind of story. It's been done a lot of time. It's been done a lot, mm -hmm. and um, the cross-country bike stories are actually one section of a very, very diverse book. So there's eight different sections and the cross country bike ride stories represent one of the eight sections. So you do get a strong taste of what it's like to bike across the country twice, but it's one of eight different sections in the book. So you That's have great. 
it's so yeah, that's why I wanted to. I thought it was important to include in the book. I didn't want to make it the focus of the book. Though. Yeah. Do you have? I mean, do you have a particular favorite section or story then in the book? Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> the 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 first section of the book I think really gets the book off uh, uh, to do a good start. Uh, I was living in the Hudson Valley, working for a paper called the Times Herald Record. <clears throat> I did kind of a an offbeat story of what it's like to have that first great spring weather bike ride. Because in the Hudson Valley, it doesn't really get really nice until like mid, maybe even late, honestly, late April, maybe early May. And um, the first, I did a story on what it was like to um, bike the very first nice day of spring, but I needed some kind of gimmicky bike ride theme to it. And in the Hudson Valley of New, section of New York State, there's a chain of convenience stores called the Stewart's uh, Ice Cream and Gasoline Chain. And they, it was convenience store. They was gasoline, but they mm-hmm. also their own ice cream, all kinds of crazy ice cream flavors. And I always thought it was funny that every little town had a Stewart's in it. And I created a 115-mile bike ride that included huh. as many Stewart's bike stores as possible. So I, 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 I made a... Uh, I did a story about how I I did, I did a bike ride and also wrote about it, about how I visited 13 different Stewart ice cream gasoline convenience stores on a 115-mile bike ride through the Hudson Valley to inaugurate the, the first day of spring. And <laughs> on that bike ride, I met a guy from Middletown, New York, who was heading from Middletown down to New York City, which is actually a pretty impressive bike ride. It's probably about 60, 75 miles to get down to New York City. And I met him at one of the stores in a place called Goshen. His name was Bill Fox. And I was so impressed. We were kind of kindred spirits, you know, kind of biking these long distances just for the sheer love of biking. And a year or two later, uh, I read a uh, an obit in my newspaper where I was working. And it was Bill Fox. Although at the time when I read the obit, I did not put two and two together. I didn't realize that was the same Bill Fox I met on that tour of Stewart's uh, ice cream stores and gasoline stations. And I, and, and the obit talked about his love for biking. I said, you know what? I'm going to write a story about this guy called up the funeral home. They got me in touch with the wife, went over to the wife's house. And at the end of our conversation, her name was Margaret, Margaret Fox. And she said, you know, my husband, Bill, who you're writing the story about who died, he, oh, he didn't keep uh, newspaper articles, but he kept the article you wrote about the tour of Stewart's ice cream shops from like a year and a half ago that you first met Bill. And that's when I flipped out. That's when it, that's when the light bulb went on. I said, oh, my God, this is the Bill Fox I had met at the Goshen Stewart store a year and a half earlier. And I had no idea when I read the obit that was the same Bill Fox. And <clears throat> I actually created my own little memorial bike rides into honor the memory of Bill Fox uh, biking up and down the Hudson Valley. I bicycled. I did a ride from, I did my own little goofy ride from George Washington Bridge up to New York City, biking up the Hudson Valley to um, the state capitol building in Albany. And mm-hmm. then I did a bike ride when I was living in Florida. I biked from Vero Beach um, on the east coast of Florida uh, clear across to Clearwater Beach on the West Coast, following one single road, State Road 60. It was it basically cut the state in half, and it was an east-west road. It was kind of a dangerous road, but I left very early on a Sunday morning, so 
Um, I did a lot of the miles before people were even up and I got, uh, it was basically the uh, ocean to Gulf Memorial bike ride for Bill Fox. It was just, <laughs> it was basically me and a few of my friends helped me along the way who biked with me along the way. So, uh, and I just wrote about all these stories and the people I met along the way. So <clears throat> that's really the first section or first chapter of the book is that's really cool. the Bill, is the Bill Fox chapter, you wow. know? And it just, one story just led to another. And uh, I realized, you know what, I have all these stories about certain themes. I need to put them under one roof in a book. So that's, uh, the Bill Fox story actually gets the book off and running. Yeah. You know, it blows my mind that you've never ridden Ragbride, the registers of uh, great bicycle ride across Iowa, because it's basically a ride from one ice cream or dessert stop to the next. <laughs> so that it'll feel, whenever when you do make it, maybe next year, you know, uh, it will feel very natural. Yeah, um, it is. I feel like uh, I bow my head in shame, Kyle. I, I still have... Uh, <laughs> I've bicycled across the Midwest on those two cross-country bike rides. I biked across Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, to North Dakota and South Dakota, but did not have not done Ragbri. I've read books. In fact, as you know, um, people write books. In fact, there's one guy who wrote a book who was from Las Vegas. In fact, he did some training for the Ragbri ride by doing some rides, some, some ridiculous desert rides, which I thought was <laughs> a little overtraining, but Hey, I mean, it's, it's always good to get, you know, do your training. And he was, and he actually talked about some local, um, not even Las Vegas. It's really kind of desert roads outside of Las Vegas in the middle of nowhere, where he was doing some desert road training, uh, for Ragbri. So, and he, and he, and he actually wrote a book about, uh, his experience, uh, biking Ragbri, so I've I've definitely have read Ragbri about Ragbri, and um, you know what? One of these days happened, Kyle. I wish <clears throat> that's pretty much my life now. I don't know when, <laughs> when things will happen. I just know that I will eventually get to it. That's right. Well, I'm happy to host you when you're able to make it. You know, before we start wrapping up, I do want to ask you about one more thing. I don't know. You know, maybe your mom taught you to ride a bike. I'm not sure about that, but I read that. You taught your mom to ride a bike, yeah, all things, yeah. which is not the usual situation for parent and yeah. child. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And it's actually the final chapter in the book. The final section of the book is actually a singular story. It's a short story mm. about my experience of, of um, teaching my mom how to ride a, uh, a bike before she died um, uh, five years ago. And... Um, it was something that she always wanted to do. And um, I got her a just a very simple single speed you know, ladies bike. And uh, we practiced a few times. And I actually uh, I, you know, wrote kind of a short story that constitutes, you know, constitutes the entire section. It's the final section of the book. You know, it's the final section in some ways. That, that's the kind of the symmetry of the book is that it begins with Bill Fox who died on his bike. And it began, and it ends with my mom teaching my mom how to ride a bike in her uh, 60s, in her mid 60s, um, before, before she died, and, uh, and and she got to enjoy, you know, what it's like to feel the wind on your face and and to you know just just as an experience and biking, and that's the beautiful. That's another thing I love about bicycling. Not only is it nonpartisan, it's it's ageless. Yeah, you know, same feeling that that five year old kid has is exactly the same feeling you have when you're 70 and you're biking the, the you know, that, that feeling in your bones 
and just, you know, the, the wind against your face and just the experience of, of finishing a bike ride um, is the same exact emotional takeaway that you have as a seven-year-old or as a 50-year-old. Well, you yeah, know? And, and the technology is helping it because with the e-bikes and with recumbent bikes and even hand bikes or whatever you you want. The, the way it's developed in recent decades is keeping more people in the bike seat longer, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, um, I think before we began chatting, I'm saying, you know, living here in Las Vegas, I was treated and really spoiled by the fact that you, you know, we had the bicycle industry trade show interbike here every single year. And it's funny, September, I'm Jewish, so September is, you know, seen as the month of the high holy days. Mm. But I used to give everyone and say, really, my high holy days really is the week of interbike. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> those are my holy days. And um, I miss it. You know, it was great to have all, to me, it was kind of all the tribes would be coming back from across the country. And to me, it was literally a pilgrimage <laughs> <laughs> meeting, you know, meeting at a convention center on the strip and um, the whole bicycle industry was there. And I, I loved it. You know, I really, yeah. I, I, I really miss it. I, you know, I, I just, I just love that whole, that whole, you know, bikey kind of culture. And I miss Interbike here. Well, this is hey, this has been wonderful, Alan. Thanks so much for spending some time. One more quick question: We ask everybody on the show. I know you love ice cream, but what's your favorite kind of <laughs> what's your favorite kind of pie? <laughs> well, I'm a blueberry pie person. Um, nothing would be better than having like a blueberry pie with like Stewart's ice cream of um, raspberry graham cracker crunch on top. Uh, you know, with a big with a big slice of pie. Uh, that would be that would be like a great finish to like a, a hundred mile bike ride for me. I, in fact, I probably would eat like half the pie actually. So <laughs> that sounds about right. I love it. Well, Alan, so people, I know I should tell listeners that they can find you on Twitter at Bicycle Man Snell at Bicycle Man S N E L. You've got a Bicycle Man Facebook page. Of course, you have your lvsportsbiz.com news site, LV Sports Biz in Las Vegas. Right. Right. Uh, com, right? And the book is $20. And what's the best way for people, listeners, to reach out and buy a copy? Yeah, just email me directly. Uh, that's really the easiest way. It's just a snell, just A-S-N-E-L at lvsportsbiz.com. Just, and you, you can find the email. It's actually on the top of the uh, of my lvsportsbiz.com website. And if you do a quick search of Alan Snell and Bicycle Manual, come up with the email as well. But just email me directly. I'd love to sell you a book. Uh, in fact, I'm going to the post office uh, several times this week to um, mail out copies uh, to, to folks. So, um, yeah, I'd, and uh, I've been putting together these little montages of people holding the book, too. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite a cross-section. And, I've, you know, I have some daffy friends who have had their dogs and cats uh, hold the books at, at <laughs> Well, so you're you're more than uh, you're more than uh, free to have your favorite dog or cat or whatever animal you have uh, uh, pose and model with the book. It helps to have readers of every species, so you know <laughs> don't turn away anybody. So, well, hey, congrats on uh, making the most of this year and all the thousands of miles and the hundreds of pages of stories. And we'll look forward to seeing you on Ragbri someday, Alan. I will be coming to Iowa. Um, I'm also a big minor league baseball fan. Iowa has some of the great 
uh, minor league uh, brands and teams. Really. Oh, it does, and and it, they're and they're struggling. So I mean, it's been you know the 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 big leagues have been talking about uh, chipping away at the infrastructure. Yeah. So you better get here sooner rather than later. So. What's going on with the Burlington Bees? Are the Burlington Bees still around? There's, well, yeah, I you know in the pandemic, I don't know what the latest is, but that those were that's one of my favorite ballparks anywhere. I love that place, and Ragbri has, has ended about, there on various years. Too. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, what about? I think there was also a minor league team called the yeah, Cedar, Cedar Rapids. Rapids Colonels. Yep. So we can bike to the ballparks when you get here. Well, that will obviously be another theme ride is uh, Bike America <laughs> minor league ballpark to minor league ballpark, which I think has been done by people in like, you know, Winnebago's and cars and stuff. But And, and I think there actually have been bike rides. I've, I've kind of read up on people who have bicycled uh, to major league baseball parks and minor league stadiums across the country, which is a great, great thing idea for sure yes for sure well hey thanks so much alan we'll catch you down the road listen thank you so much kyle i appreciate you not shaming me too badly for not biking rag that was i i feel really happy about that and listen it's been a pleasure talking to a fellow journalist uh about bicycling and i really appreciate the time we had together for sure so thanks for listening to the Just Go Bike Podcast, everybody. Please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Those ratings and reviews really do help. And visit ragbri.com if you have time and you're in the Midwest. The Ragbri Roadshow. There's been no Ragbri this year, but the Ragbri Roadshow continues deep into October with socially distant trail support on your favorite bike trails around central Iowa, in eastern Iowa as well this, uh, this fall. So we'll see you on the trail. On your left.